you know, in the depth of depression and grief, so many of the things that you take for granted just stop. You stop eating, you stop sleeping. I had to remind myself to drink water. And that was the point where I knew I had to make a choice. And my first choice was, am I going to live to see the sunrise or am I going to die? It was that basic question. Reboots Rough Cuts Episode 6 features David Conley. He's a former governmental tech executive who suddenly lost his wife. And that's when Dave's life stopped and he sank into a deep depression. Interestingly enough, when Dave decided to just drink one sip of water, life and business started to change. Ultimately, Dave lost 150 pounds, he quit his job, launched his own business, and uh, thus launched a brand new approach to living. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Hey, Dave, thanks for inviting us into your life today. I appreciate you taking time to visit with us and and share your story. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's my pleasure to be here. You are in sunny San Francisco today, right? It is sunny today. In a lot of days, it may not be, particularly in the in the uh, summer days. It's a little bit different than uh, where I grew up. Well, summer is when I want to come visit you sometime because I'm a huge baseball fan and I really want to come see the Giants play. Oh, please do. You're welcome anytime. Well, tell me just a little bit about what your life is like today before we dive mm-hmm. into the toughest moments of your life. Sure. Let's see. Vocationally, I introduce successful people to themselves. I help you balance health and wellness with significant achievement. So that's my vocation. And I live in beautiful San Francisco. Actually, I'm thinking about where might be next. I'm I'm sort of uh, traveling about and thinking about where might in the world might be. And uh, I love my job. Um, I love where I am. And I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. And that's in contrast to what I felt like a lot of my life was, which was like I didn't have a lot of choices. I uh, thought I was doing what other people thought I should be doing. And I thought I was happy. And it wasn't until I started peeling that away and really getting at what I wanted in life that um, I went from living a very ordinary existence to an extraordinary one. So I'm uh, really feeling like uh, for the first time in my life, and it took me four, four decades to get there, that I'm doing what I want to be doing. And uh, that's opening up so many more opportunities for me in that I can live this extraordinary life. So Dave, do you think maybe that's why people decide maybe they don't want to pull back the onion because they're afraid they'll find out they're really not happy and that seems like too much trouble? Well, I think you said the right word, which was afraid. I find over and over working with my clients that they live in this world of I can't and I won't and I don't. And it all gets down to a lot of fear about change and fear about uh, putting themselves first and fear about uh, doing the things that they want to be doing because it'll affect other people. And uh, when you peel that part of the onion back and uh, really take a look at Uh, What are the things that you want and can do and uh, the things that you have agency over, then life gets a lot easier. And the people around us who love us are generally better off when we're better off, right? Every single time. And that's at the cornerstone of the work that I do. You know, when you start paying attention to yourself, when you start uh, really paying attention to the things that are important to you, it's remarkable how the other people in your life are the ones that are the ones that are right there cheering you on. Uh, and the things that you thought were important to them uh, turn out to be the things that are important to you. 
And that translates into your vocation, that translates into uh, how you show up in the community, and ultimately it translates right into your legacy. And the beauty of what you're saying is, is that this is, this is, these are lessons learned from a hard experience. It's not just something you read in a book. So with that, mm-hmm. let's kind of Let's kind of start unpeeling the onion of your reboots, as it were. Uh, was your reboot a, a moment, a coincidence, a choice, or a series of choices? Oh, wow. Uh, it's a little bit of all of them. There was a moment, and there was a moment where I, I was just miserable in my career as a senior technology executive, and I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, and I weighed 330 pounds. And the one real joy in my life was my uh, wife of 13 years, Carol. And one day she caught a cold. And it was it was odd, too, because she was one of those people who, who when she got sick, she was still moving around just a little bit slower. Uh, but, you know, when I came home from work, uh, she was still sitting on the couch and called a nurse and she said, you know what? She might be, um, she might be having a heart attack. Why don't you get her to the hospital? She wasn't having a heart attack. That was the good news, but she was quite sick. And, uh, what, you know, trans just transported and changed everything was three days later, I had to turn off the life support. Mm, I'm so sorry. Mm, thank you. Um, that was the moment that, um, the one moment that changed everything. Now, here's the thing, though. If anybody is is standing up in front of you that says that you have to go through some tragedy, you have to, you know, lose your wife or lose your dog or lose your grandparents or uh, live through some sort of um, incurable disease or uh, you have to experience these things, I, I can't say enough or often enough to say that isn't it at all. Those are moments where life does happen to you uh, and you're put into a situation where you have to make choices. But here's the important piece. I had everything I needed in me before Carol passed and I had everything in me after Carol passed. It wasn't the moment, although the moment did light the match and it forced me to make changes. Uh, it was recognizing it, recognizing it later that I had everything I needed. I had all of the resources that I needed. And that's the difference between someone standing up and say, I have the keys to the kingdom because I know this. No, no, uh, that I went through some sort of tragedy. It's not that. It's that you have it now. You have it right now. And it's getting over that fear and uncertainty and doubt that keeps us all trapped in places and things and with people and situations that stop us from living our full lives. Wow, that's so true. And with that, I, I want to dig into your story a little bit more. In your About Me page mm-hmm. on your website, you begin very simply, and, and you, you kind of described that moment, I believe. Uh, you say, in 2011, my life blew up. Mm-hmm. And in reading, I realized that was the moment you came home and realized that your wife was sick. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I can't imagine, you know, one of my issues, I'm in 12-step program, Celebrate Recovery for Unresolved Grief. And so I mm-hmm. fully understand how difficult it can be some days even more than others, to uh, to talk about losing someone that you love. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, mm, thank you. The next thing that, that you talk about is in your story, it took more than two years for you to crawl out of that deep depression, but you did. Mm-hmm. I did. Can we just spend a little bit of time there in, in that moment where you lost your wife and then mm-hmm. you began to – Let's use the peeling the onion back analogy again. Let's just start with the days following the death of your wife and mm. having to kind of figure things out. Uh, a lot of times you can't even feel your feet take the take one step in front of the other, right? Mm. That, that's that's absolutely the case. Um, yeah, the the days after I you know 
they do blur together in all sorts of ways because, you know, in the depths of depression and grief, so many of the things that you take for granted just stop. You stop eating, you stop sleeping. I had to remind myself to drink water. And that was the point where I knew I had to make a choice. And my first choice was deep down in the oldest part of your brain, which is, am I going to live to see the sunrise or am I going to die? It was, it was that basic question. And that will to survive, that will to live was a thing that started it. And so what, what was the one thing I could do? And, you know, the drinking, the water, the, the eating, the sleeping, those were almost beyond me, but I knew I had to drink water. I had a uh, water bottle that uh, I could see through and it had little marks and tick marks on it. I'm like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drink this whole liter of water. And there were some days where it wasn't that easy to even do that. But at the end of the day uh, and at the start of the next, I realized that I'd done one thing. I'd done that one thing. And that one thing turned out to be everything. It was my touchstone. I had drunk a liter of water. And then I started to master that. I was able, okay, like I can drink water. Fantastic. And I, it, it sounds almost ridiculous coming out of my, my mouth saying, okay, I drank water. Uh, and the most basic thing that I knew I needed. But that was a little bit of self-care. Like I knew I had to do that. I really thought that uh, my accomplishments as a, a tech executive or, uh, you know, money I'd put together or my house or, you know, all of the things that I thought were the trappings of safety and security. I thought those were going to be the things that would get me through. And it didn't turn out to be that at all. It was up to me. Uh, that was the first part. And then I did have friends and family. Yes, they were there cheering me on and helping me out. But there were plenty of times that they weren't there. So I had those people cheer my own, but it wasn't the house. It wasn't the career. It wasn't all of those trappings. It was that I could take control over this one thing. I could drink water. And then once I mastered that, that mastering of drinking water, I'm like, okay, what do I want to do next? Oh, I should eat. I'm like, okay, and you eat a little bit and you move a little bit further. Like, and then you get to the point where you master that, but then you don't, then you fall back into not eating like, Oh, hmm, all right. But at least what I did was drink that, that liter of water. I'm like, okay, well I got that. So that builds that muscle of resiliency. I mean, yes, the tragedy of losing Carol. Um, uh, but what do you do with that going forward? Well, you start taking care of yourself. So I drank the water. I started eating a little bit and then I needed to move. I knew I needed to move. And so now I have three things. They're chained together. I'm drinking water. I'm eating, eating well, and then I'm moving a little. And then for my path, then it was getting back into being around people, getting back to my job at the time and continuing to uh, build that foundation of self-care that was everything for me and still is everything for me and is the foundation of what I work with for my clients. You use the word chaining habits together. Yeah. Were you doing that purposefully or intuitively? I mean, that's that's huge habit science right there is picking a habit, mastering it, and then adding another healthy habit to it. Was that intuitive or, or were you reading up mm -hmm. on how to get better? I was, I don't think I was reading up on, uh, it was, it was a matter of survival. It was, it was that choice of like, I, I want to continue this life. Right. And everything was shaken like an etch-a-sketch. All of my future, the future that I thought was there, uh, was gone. And it's like, okay, how am I going to rebuild this? Well, I want to survive. And that survival really started with drink some water, eat some food, and start to move a little. And then things just sort of naturally started happening. The things that I needed for my body to function. You know, sleep took probably the longest one, but sleep came back. Uh, so the things that, you know, as far as chaining habits and where I was uh, thinking about things, there wasn't a lot of thinking. It was a lot of, of uh, other than conscious thought um, after I had really had to think about it consciously. Uh, to say, okay, I'm going to take this one step and then this one step and this one step. And that started to build and not 
literally not not like not like it wasn't like stair steps uh it it, it was more like take three steps and fall down uh, okay pick yourself back up and realize that oh you have some resiliency here um you've learned from that like okay so let's try again let's go again you drink that water let's go again I'm like okay so that will to survive was really the first thing and that muscle building that muscle of resiliency building that muscle of of chaining events uh, the more that you could master uh, and and become automatic, then that leaves room uh, for you to try something new. Because at, when it gets down to it, you realize that you now have choice. You have to have choice in order to move forward. And as we begin this line of our conversation, you weren't sure if you wanted to live or not. So it's almost like just these actions over time that were – life-saving and life-giving actions. It's almost like uh, maybe you looked back on the last couple of weeks of drinking water and moving and, oh, well, gosh, maybe I do want to survive. Maybe I do want to survive. And this is this is common with people who've experienced some sort of tragedy that, you know, they realize that they have to um, consciously think about, you know, how to move forward. It's It's not uncommon at all. But there are so many tools out there in order to put more choice on your menu. And that's where my learnings really kicked in um, of like, oh, okay, I think I've got this. This this makes some sense to me. And then over the course of, of years, I, I really started to learn how I can just expand my possibilities. And now I feel, you know, at at my age and and where I'm where I'm heading, that anything is possible, really living a limitless life. Wow. That's kind of big right there, Dave. Mm. You talk about life, love, and radical self-care. Yeah. As as you began to get better, mm-hmm. how did you begin to see how your life was versus what it was becoming? Like at, at what point did you decide, oh my goodness, I was pretty miserable yeah, And now I'm not so miserable or I'm determined to not be miserable again with my existence in my life. Hmm. Great question. <laughs> um, well, think about the you yesterday, right? So the you you are today, all the small things that happened yesterday make up who you are today. All the small things. But think about where you were six months ago, maybe at the at the new year who you were then and who you were then and who you are now are pretty different. And then think back six years ago. I mean, who I was six years ago and who I am today, dramatically different. And so it's it's pretty reasonable for me to think that the choices that I make today are going to affect who I am tomorrow. And those choices are going to affect who I am at the end of this year, and those choices are going to affect who I am six years from now. I am going to be a radically different person than I am today. And that sort of exploration, that curiosity about me, that curiosity about life, that's something that we all have in us. And just tapping into that for a moment and saying, you know what? There are unlimited possibilities out there. So what are the things that you're going to, or imagine yourself six years from now and look backwards what are the things that you're doing today that will support that vision of you in the future? What are the good things that you can be doing for you uh, that will um, open up the possibilities for your future, not close them down? How are you putting more choices on your menu, not taking them off? And so there was this moment along the way, this moment when another layer of that onion peeled back and you said, my life is not what I thought it was or my yeah. life is not what I want it to be. Yeah. I mean, did you just kind of go, oh my goodness, there's a better way? I think that well, let me let me fast forward a little bit and put it into a, a slightly different context on it because I think that this might might um I had remarried uh, pretty uh, shortly after Carol had passed. I'd met my wife in a widow widower support group. And we we fell in love, and um, and in a lot of ways, I was putting my life back exactly how it was, just with a different person. 
But I continued the process of self-care and learning about myself and uh, really kind of uh, nerding out into like, like who I am because I'd spent most of my life not knowing who I am. And there was a there was a point in in there where I was like, well, is this the life I want to be living? Um, just a, a reboot with a different person, and is this the right person? And uh, my wife, uh, beautiful and talented and smart, and um, it, a wonderful roommate. Um, you know, there were so many things that that you know my my friends and family thought, wow, that's a really great relationship. But they weren't in my shoes. Um, my shoes was one where it's like, well, is this the life I want to be living? Uh, a reboot of what I had. I'm like, hmm. You know, one of the, I read something pretty powerful during the time, which was um, re- recontextualized everything, new context. It reframed everything for me. And and I and I I, I challenge listeners to and and my my clients to do this all the time is, can you recontextualize? Can you reframe something? Um, it was at that moment when I was like, well, if I'm on my deathbed, will I regret what I'm doing right now? And when you think about it, when you really get into it, when you feel it, it's like, is what I'm doing today something that I'm going to regret on my deathbed? And if that answer is yes, that's the beginning of like, okay, what are the changes that I have to start making in order to live that life? I had just uh, just last year i had um i was i was wondering where i was going to be for my fall and uh, i was really struggling with it i'm like hmm you know it's like i don't know where i'm going to live i don't know where i'm going to live i'd sold my house i was uh getting uh, pretty burned out on the washington dc area where i grew up and a friend of mine um, asked me one of those key questions. And when you get those key questions, and that's happened over and over to me uh, serendipitously, um, that key question and that total reframing was this. It was like, well, it's not that you don't know where you're going to live. It's that you can live anywhere. I'm like, oh, oh, you're right. I went from very narrow thinking to very broad thinking. It's like, oh, I don't know where I'm going to live. That's okay. But knowing that you can live anywhere is like, oh, okay. Now I've added a choice. It's not narrow, it's broad. Or I was, um, another reframe happened to me just recently. I was, uh, I I was doing some professional development and, uh, I'd gotten evaluation that said, you know what? Not your best work. And I was like, oh God, it's just like, really? I'm, I'm not, I'm not a C student. Um, and uh, it, so I, I, I doubled down, right? Like I'm going to study more. I'm going to, you know, really, really dive into this, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to learn more, and I'm going to really master this. And I was mentioning this all to a friend of mine, and she said, "Well, I mean, read that again." And I said, "Well, it says it's not your best work." And she said, "Well, that means that you did really good work." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay." <laughs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like that changes everything. So suddenly I have I felt like I had more choice, not that I had to just like double down into it. It's that I already knew how to do great work. So how can I keep on doing that? Wow. Tell me about radical self-care. That's kind of one of your key words. What mm. what does that look like in your life? Mm. Well, we talked a little bit about it already, which was like the steps that I needed to take uh, in order to get myself uh, straight, you know, just drinking water and eating eating a little and exercising a little. Well, it it turns out that a lot of people are in that space, not that they have to crawl back from some sort of uh, deep depression or, or grief. It's that they know that something's off, something's wrong, something is to be different in their lives. And often something has happened in their lives, not necessarily tragedy, but something's happened. They might be thinking about a career change. Um, Often it's when the kids get old enough to not need you as much, or maybe they're off in high school, maybe they're going to college and they're looking at the rest of their lives and saying, okay, what's next? And what has happened is if you... I mean, think of your life as concentric circles at the at the very center is is you, you know, the the mind, the body, the spirit that makes you up. Then outside of that is your major relationships, uh, your, you know, your friends, your family. Uh, And then outside of that, your vocation and then uh, community and then that legacy of yours. So a lot of people spend most of their time in in relationships or they spend most of their time in vocation. 
because that's what you're rewarded. That's what you're told to do. Uh, and it's like, okay, you got to raise your kids. I'm like, yes, nobody is arguing. You have to raise your kids. Uh, you've got to work. You've got to, and, and you get a lot of satisfaction. You get, you get money for it. You get, you know, this is, you're trading your time for that. And nobody's saying don't work. But here's the thing is that there's often no off switch for those things that people will hide in those places. People will hide in their relationships. People will hide in their vocation because that is what they're told to do. And that is what they're supposed to do. Well, as soon as that happens, you're not paying attention to yourself. And when you don't have that foundation, there is no way you can give the most to your relationships. There is no way you can give the most to your job. There's no way you can give back to your community. People try and they white knuckle it and they try and try and try. And then they wonder why their relationships suck or they'll wonder why they hate their job. It comes back to how are you taking care of yourself? One of the things that I do with most of my clients, besides getting them to to drink a liter of water, which is often a big deal uh, for folks, is uh, doing something like uh, fixing their sleep. Uh, this is often a, a, a place where people just phoned it in. You know, it's like, eh, you know, I slept okay. I didn't sleep or, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to find someone who says I sleep like a baby and I sleep every single night and it's fantastic. I'm like, okay, great. If that's the case, wonderful. Let's go try something else about getting you back to yourself. So uh, one of the things I do over and over again with folks, is like, let's fix your sleep because that is something that you have agency over. You don't have agency over your, your relationships. You don't have agency over your job, meaning that, and what I mean by agency is that you don't have complete control over those things. You have to rely on other people, other places, other environments. But what can we bring you back to something that you have control over, something like eating, something like drinking, and something like sleep. And once you start paying attention to these things, you get used to it. Because as soon as your sleep is off, you don't make particularly good choices. As soon as your eating's off, you're in the whole world of self-soothing, um, trying to escape. Uh, you know, believe me, it is easy to sit on a couch with a pint of ice cream and a glass of wine in front of Netflix because it feels <laughs> good. <laughs> it, it feels good. And that isn't making a good choice for you. That's about making sure that you have enough something in order to get up and do it again in your relationships and do it again in your, in your vocation. So let's flip this frown upside down. Let's flip the paradigm. The radical self-care is, and it sounds simple. And if it was simple, everyone would do it and I wouldn't have a job and I would be happy to not have this job is let's flip this around, start paying attention to you. As soon as you start paying attention to yourself, then everything else blossoms. Most of my clients have changed their jobs, radically changed their jobs. Most of my clients have altered their uh, relationships. They've improved them. Uh, they've uh, changed them. They've, they get more choice on their menu than they've ever had before. Dave, there are so many people who you have just lit them up right now because <laughs> they're saying... But I have people depending on me. Yes. How am I supposed to take care of myself? I don't have time. Yes. I don't have the energy. And, mm -hmm. and I want to step back just a little bit to, to where you talked about how people will spend time in one space at the expense yeah. of another. And, man, I've been one of those people where I've oh, yeah. said family is uh, right up there next to my relationship with my creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as I look back on my past and evaluate it, I hid inside a work environment and a career environment because I felt like I could control that. Yeah. So once I started telling myself the truth about what was how I was behaving, mm -hmm. and if I really did want to realign, you know, knowing, sharing, and living my story, my life got better, even though it took some hard changes. So yep. let's talk to the, the person who is saying, but I can't take care of myself first. Okay. Well, so what are the things that your family wants for you? You, you think you know what they need, right? 
often most people think that they're pretty good mind readers. You hang around these people all the time and it's like, I can read your mind. I know exactly what you need. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw everything at it. I'm like, okay. Uh, jobs are no better, right? It's like, well, if I just do this and often you'll get an evaluation on it. It's like, oh, you did this. Great. Fantastic. Do more of that. I'm like, okay, great. So keep doing that. Here's the secret underneath all of these things. Nobody wants you sick. No one. Nobody wants you unhappy. I might feel that way sometimes, but nobody really wants you unhappy. Nobody wants you to have an unfulfilled life. Nobody is sitting there and say, you know what? That person over there, that person that I love or that person that works for me or that, that human being over there, I want to make sure that they don't have the choices in their life. I want to make sure that they live a limited life. I want to make sure nobody, nobody is. And once you realize it's like, oh, these people are pulling for me. They do want the best for me. And as much as you think you're reading their mind, they might be thinking they're reading yours too. So open up that dialogue uh, and have those conversations. And when you, when you start asking those questions of like, hey, what would you think if I took this amount of time and I started doing this? Now, this is the result of it. I'm like, okay. And I think it's going to bring a lot more to our relationship. I think it's going to be a lot better for our marriage or um, uh, I think it's going to be much better for my job. And it's like, well, okay, what are you going to do? It's like, ah, I'm going to do something for me. And, and I, and I mean selfish with the, with the lowercase S I started this conversation with saying, drink a liter of water. I'm not saying, okay, do it all, all at once. That's a, that's a, that's a world full of failure. I'm saying, try something like that. Try something small, uh, something that is just yours. And once you realize it's like you have some control over your life. And once you realize, use this phrase over and over again, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right here, right now, know that this is what I choose now. You are making the choice. You are the one. Nobody is making those choices for you. You are choosing it. That makes things a lot easier when you realize, hey, I got some choice. I mean, go in, go into a restaurant. Go, go next time you go out to eat. And try and choose the third best item on the menu. Like, well, you, you can't do that, right? You're going to choose the best <laughs> item on the menu that you can want for you right now. And it's that that um, that fear that's going to sit out there that will, like, keep you making sure that you only have one item on that menu. And it's not until the pain of change outweighs the pain of staying the same where you can actually say, oh, you know what? I do have another choice and another choice and another choice. As soon as you have more choices on that menu, there's something that you can do now. And so add one little appetizer at a time and then a main meal is going to show up and then the dessert. And then the, it's remarkable how when you start doing small things for yourself, everyone benefits because that menu gets large. Wow. That's big stuff, Dave. This is a Reboots Rough Cuts episode, edited, mixed, and mastered by Mikhail Kozenkov. I'm Tracy Wenchel, and this special series has been inspired by a, a conversation with Mikhail and a group of fellow podcasters during which I expressed frustration and concern about a backlog of beautiful stories that have been growing metaphorical dust on my hard drive because I just hadn't gotten around to editing editing them and publishing them yet. Mikhail offered to help me clear the backlog and to crank out as many episodes as possible by the close of 2018. And this is one of those dozen interviews that will most certainly bring hope to many listeners, maybe even you. Now, if you're a podcaster who is overwhelmed with post-production, or maybe you're not sure how to edit your own podcast, and you want a personal step-by-step walk through the editing and mixing process, or maybe you just want your podcast to sound the very best it can and not have to worry about the editing stage at all, you're going to want to get in touch with my friend Mikhail. Here's how you get in touch with him. It's podcastsoundfixer at gmail.com. We'll have a link in the show notes.
I've got one more question along along these lines. Mm-hmm. My guess is you get a lot of why questions from your clients. Sure. You may have even asked yourself, why did my wife die? Mm. Take me through those questions and how we deal with unanswerable why questions. Mm. Unanswerable why questions. Well, give me a give me an unanswerable why question. I mean, one of the, you know, so like why why did my wife die? Well, I know medically what happened, right? I get it. And you know, it's like why did this happen to me? Well, you know, I can look through this through some 2020 hindsight is that, you know, I was 330 pounds smoking a pack of cigarettes and a job that I hated, stressed out all the time. Uh, I had medically things that were wrong with me that somebody 10, 20 years older than me uh, were having. My doctor actually pulled me aside and said, hey, the difference between you and other people in their 40s, you know, one something gets us all. It's it's usually, a, you know, heart disease or stroke or cancer. And it's like, unlike you and everyone else in their 40s, again, not unusual for one of those to happen in your 40s. Uh, unlike everyone else, you know, that's going to take you out or your life will be crippled for the rest of it. But everyone else, they'd recover from it. So it's those those moments where I look back on my life, that, that 2020 hindsight, that if I was continuing down that path, I would certainly be dead by now. This was six, seven years ago. And when the worst thing that could happen to someone turns out to be the best thing ever. Maybe that's another case of reframing, but at least it's afforded me a life where, you know, every day is important. And I know that I'm making the choices today that will affect me in the future. Uh, And realizing that, you know, if there are, I don't, I don't know if the unanswerable whys are my world. It's the, what am I choosing to do right now? And what's stopping me? Or more importantly, like whatever it is that I do want, what will having that do for me? Uh, I mean, just like, okay, it's a powerful question to ask yourself, what do you want? I mean, and there's plenty of people that is like, I don't know what I want. Like, okay, well, we can work on that. So, okay, let's get at something you want. And like, okay, what's that going to do for you? Like, okay, great. Ask that a few times. It's like, okay, what's that going to do for you? What's that going to do for you? What's that going to do for you? And then here's the kicker. How will you know when you have it? And it's like, once you start framing around that and framing your life, it's like, wow, you know what? There's a lot of things in my world that I want. And when you tack on that other people will want that for you too, (laughs) wow, uh, suddenly you got a big life in front of you. Do you ever ask yourself what, Carol would say if she could see you now? Hmm. You know, that was a, it was a lifetime ago. Um, you know, the person I was just a few months ago, isn't me a year ago, you know, not me six years ago, not me. I, I don't even recognize myself. The pictures I have to remind are me, but the person I was with for 13 years always wanted the very best for me. So what might she say? Um, I don't know if she would say anything, but I know she would be smiling. Thank you, Dave. Wow. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone who is beginning to ask themselves what their life would look like if they had the courage to even evaluate their lives? Hmm. Advice. Um, I find and I still find that a lot of my life happens in patterns. It's funny. I, I end up, you know, being in relationships with very similar people or I was in jobs and I seem to be sort of getting the same boss over and over again. Or I was finding dissatisfaction in any number of places in my life. And I realized it kept on happening over and over and over again. So recognizing that you're in patterns, that you're in the patterns of life and that you keep on bringing that together. That again, this is, these are your choices, right? And it's funny how the universe works when you, you keep on bringing those patterns together. It's like, Hmm, 
what is it that I can do, even the small things, in order to shift this pattern about? Here's one. Sit down and really think about what you believe. Like, what do you really believe? Uh, one that comes up for people that I work with and comes up in my life is um, for people who need to lose a lot of weight, they will often say, I believe I will always be heavy. Mm. Like, oh, hmm, okay. Let's think about that. Like, what is it about that that you do believe? What are the things that you're doing that make you believe that, that you feel like that that is why you need to believe? What are deep down your beliefs and how is that a part of your identity? Here's another one. I believe it's really hard to make money. I'm like, oh, the universe is going to be be really good at that one. It's going to say, okay, <laughs> it's now really hard to make money. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what is it about you that is having you believe that it's really hard to make money? Now, maybe it's that, you know, you grew up in a household where you were told that over and over again, or um, that, uh, you know, you, you witnessed your parents and, and, you know, how they had to work in order to provide for you and thinking that it's going to be exactly the same for you. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. recognize these patterns in your life and start to move those beliefs around. Like, what if you did the exact opposite of something that you're doing now. Like, what's the worst that could actually happen? You know, I, I run into the, into into um, you know, particularly executives. It's like, well, if I don't work this hard, you know, my company's going to fall apart. And I'm like, how do you know? And I'm like, well, and then you know, they'll come up with something, you know, some sort of excuse. And I'm like, okay, well, have you tried? I mean, like, what's the worst that can happen? You might be out of a job that you do not like. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> it's like. All right. It, what are your beliefs and challenge them? I mean, just challenge your beliefs. I, I can't say just challenge your beliefs because they're so deep down in you, but at least recognize where they are. See where the patterns are in your life because you'll keep on doing them over and over again because yeah. your, your, your mind and body is all geared towards making sure that the things that you've done in the past, you keep on doing them because that's where you feel safe. So you've got to challenge that, that safety a little bit and doing it in small ways. So, you know, put that toe in the water of like, okay, I'm going to try something that's a little bit out of character or try, you know, to challenge that belief, you know, my belief that it's going to be hard to do something I'm like, okay, how do you know? Like, really, how do you know? And where has that come up in your life? Or has that ever come up in your life and it hasn't been true? I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. I'm like, okay, so now it's a little more safe to try something else out. Do you use journaling to help you and your clients measure how different they are from, from one time period to the next or to identify these unhealthy patterns that you're talking about and how to create healthier patterns? Is journaling a big deal for you? Yeah, I do both, actually. Uh, it's funny you bring that up. I was just working on that. So, yeah, definitely. And the magical part of journaling, I don't know. How Do you journal? Oh, prolifically, yes. Okay, so how do you journal? I'm kind of curious. What's your What's your process? I, I do a number of different things depending on where I am in my life and what I'm struggling with. Mm. Um, right now, probably the, the most effective thing that I'm and, – and none of them takes longer than 10 to 15 minutes – I'll right. do a couple of things in the morning. I actually write a letter to my next day self every evening. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, and it's it's real quick. It, it takes about five minutes. And then I keep a gratitude journal. Mm. I write down what I learned during the day. Yeah. But there is also what what is called a step 10 for those of us in a 12-step program. And I yeah. ask myself eight questions that sort of help me figure out, do I owe someone amends? Mm. And right now I'm dealing with perfectionism. That's kind of my, the thing that's driving me nuts. <laughs> and so I ask myself a question uh, that basically says, if I had one thing to do over today, what would it be? Mm. And I catch myself writing these things down and yeah. I'm answering this question and I'm going, but I would change that, but it's dumb because here's what I did instead. Uh -huh. So I give myself one opportunity every day to second guess myself <laughs> and I have to write it down. And as I've been doing this the last few months, I'm realizing, actually, this one's the last few weeks. I realize I am a different person. Yeah. I'm not beating myself up. Mm. And so I sleep better at night. Mm. 
Wonderful. And thank you for sharing that with me. Journaling is beautiful in that it really raises... So your your world is pretty much divided into your consciousness, which is like the whoever it is that's wearing the I am t-shirt at any given moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, your ego, your, you know, what, you know, the person that's experiencing life day in and day out, right? And there's only a few things that you can keep going at any given point. You can keep it in your head. Maybe it's five, maybe, maybe nine things. Uh, and those are the, those are kind of like the decision-making processes that, that uh, we do day in and day out. It's like, oh, I got to do laundry. I got to do this. I got to write this. That's kind of our working space, right? right? And everything else down to our beliefs, everything else, the thousands, maybe millions of other things that happen in our, in our minds and our bodies, they happen other than conscious, wherever it's all the other parts that are taking care of us. What's magical about journaling and asking those questions is that all of the, the millions of other parts of you that are, are asking those questions or doing those things, by asking those questions, you are tapping into the, the, the I am, the, that working consciousness that has like three or four things going on on a given point, and all of the other parts of you. And so once you start connecting those things, once you get them talking to one another, just raising that awareness and getting those pieces talking together means that you have access in there to change those things. Like, oh, wow, okay, so I can choose to be something else and I know why this is happening. And for a lot of my clients, it's quite a revelation for them to just journal it out. And it's like, oh, what what is it about this? One of the the reflection points I do a couple of them, uh, where it's like like let's um, let's take a look at some of these change points in your life. You know things that are like past or future oriented. One of them is is just this is a, this is the journal topic. I celebrate by like okay I celebrate by and I just have them journal on it. And this is one of the few journals that they actually uh, share with me. And the I celebrate by often comes back uh, with somebody who has uh, been struggling with their their weight or self-image or the rest, and, you know, those kind of things. It'll often come back with, well, I celebrate with cake. I celebrate hmm. with, with, you know, with, with, uh, with a drink. And then as we work together, we do it again. And not that far into the future, just a few weeks. I'm like, okay, give that, give that I celebrate again uh, one. And more often than not, the work that they've done to, to work on themselves and bringing them back to themselves, it's not those self-soothing or those ways that they'd celebrated before. It's a celebration of being with friends or celebrating with family or celebrate by doing something healthy and fun that they like doing, you know, some sort of activity over and over again. It goes from like, I, I celebrate this way. And then just a few weeks later, I celebrate differently. So just showing how the small changes rack up to something radically different just a few weeks later really emboldened someone to say, oh, these little small choices that I'm making every day are something that just build over and over and over on another. Another one that's pretty powerful is, I've heard them called different things, uh, like a, a Debbie Millman exercise or a Merlin letter. And that's imagining yourself 10 years into the future and writing everything down about that day. Where do you live? What do you do? From the point that you wake up to the point that you put your head down, I just write everything down, everything that you feel, everything that you see, everything that you smell, everything that you taste, everything. Write it down in as much detail as you can. Spend some time on it. It might be, it might be 10 pages, it might be 100, whatever it is. Write down that one day, 10 years into the future. That's a beautiful reflection of like who you can be and who you, most importantly, who you want to be. And I did this exercise. And when I got to the end of it, I realized how different my life 10 years from now was what I was doing today. 
And I'm like, oh, wow, like dramatically different. And I'm like, I want so much more from my life. And that's at that point where I was like, I've got to make some changes. I mean, like, oh, you know, it's like I didn't know what I wanted. Now it's pretty crystal clear to me that 10 years in the future, I want to. Well, I can't wait until nine years and, and, and 11 months. It's I've got to start making these changes today. And what are the small changes that I can make? And so that's where it started for a number of a number of ways. How often do you review that document that you created for your future self? Uh, I don't. I just do it again. Okay. Yeah, I just do it again. Yeah. Um, I, I do it for a lot of different reasons, but like um, reminding me who I wanted to be from a year ago is going to be different than what I want 10 years from today, you know, a year later. Uh, boy, that's a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> so how I progress in my life from one year to the next or one day from the next is going to be a little bit different. You know, we're just going to we're going to move the battleship just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. Uh, and so it'll be a little bit different. What a wonderful conversation this has been, Dave. Thank you for your insights and um, for making yourself vulnerable. I know that's a gift that you've given mm -hmm. to our listeners, and I, I appreciate it. Is, is, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to, to share with the Reboots tribe before I let you go about the rest of your day? Yeah, the people who are listening to your podcasts are people that are drawn to you for a reason. Yeah, you know, they are like, hmm, this is either something that I want to do or it's something that I'm doing. And, you know, you can take away one thing, you know, as you listen to different people who reboot their lives. Remind yourself that you actually reboot your lives all the time. Yeah. It happens over and over and over again. Sometimes it feels like it's being done to you. Um, <laughs> sometimes it feels like you don't have any choice. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that you keep on doing, you keep on rebooting. And the, and the only difference between someone like me, who sounds like they've rebooted dramatically, is that I have and you are too. How do you want to live is the question. And where do you want, and most importantly, what do you want? Thank you, Dave. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Tracy. For more about David Conley, his business, and some of his favorite resources, check out his website. It's Limitless. And here's how you spell that. It's kind of counterintuitive here. Let me stick with me here. It's L-I-M-I-T-L dot E-S. There's a link in the show notes at rebootspodcast.com RR06. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom. Hey, Dave, thanks for inviting... Ah, <laughs> that's the mm -hmm. first time I've ever messed that up. <laughs>